Welcome to Arise Church, where we exist so that you can experience God. I pray that this message will encourage, inspire, and grow your faith in God. Enjoy the message. Woo! It is good to see each and every one of you. If you're new to our church, my name is Brent. I get the privilege of being your lead pastor. And we're going to continue to experience God together today over the next few moments. Uh, as we do, I always want to celebrate. Uh, Ada, I think, mentioned we had four people physically healed last week. But we had eight decisions for Christ last week. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. Love it, love it, love it. Um, also, just want to quickly mention this. Um, in two weeks, we're going to have our legacy offering. Uh, this is an annual thing where two weeks from now, uh, 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 we're going to take up an offering and give it all away inside of the community, do a lot of good within our own community and world missions uh, as part of our missions projects uh, and legacy projects. And so uh, our challenge for you is, first of all, everybody should do something. But the real challenge becomes, would you give one day's wage uh, to this offering? And that way it kind of keeps it in a uh, uniform uh, thing for everybody. Some people can give a lot more than that. Some people might not be able to do it. We can all do something. And um, I know many of you have thought, I wish I could help with this benevolence need, or I wish I could help with this or that. This is a way we all partner together. Everything that comes in, we just give away a blessing around our community. And it's going to be a blast. Uh, That's going to be a lot of fun that Sunday too. You're not going to want to miss it as we talk on this subject. So it's two weeks from today, December 5th. Plan it out in your schedule. Go ahead and start thinking about it now and how you can give. You with me? Hey, we've been, um, you know, we had this whole spider series and then like we talked about ants last week, um, automatic negative thoughts, automatic negative thoughts syndrome. Made me think about this this particular story of a butcher over in Tarpon Springs that I heard that said, uh, a dog came in the butcher shop, had a, had a wallet in its mouth and, and jumped up on the counter, like front legs on the counter and dropped the, the wallet off on the counter. And the butcher looked at the dog and thought, that's kind of weird. He said, uh, he said, do you want some meat? And the dog said, woof. He's like, all right. He says, uh, so what kind of meat do you want? Chicken, bacon, or steak? Woof. Okay. So you want steak? Do you want one pounds, three pounds, five pounds? Woof. Okay. So five pounds of steak. Uh, that's a good, good deal right there, by the way. Five pounds of steak. And I said, woof. So uh, he said, all right. So he starts cutting up the steak. Uh, he said, uh, how are you going to pay for this steak? And the dog picks up the, the wallet again and drops it back down on the counter again. And he said, okay. Well, he opens the wallet and it was the exact right amount for how much it cost for the steak. And he thought, wow, this is, this is an impressive dog. This is the most intelligent dog I've ever seen. This is incredible. So the dog picks up the steak all wrapped up in its mouth and the wallet starts walking back off down the street. The butcher says, I got to follow this dog. Like, I got to see who owns this dog. This dog is incredible. So he follows him a couple blocks. Dog runs up to second store landing in an apartment complex and starts scratching on the door. Meanwhile, the guy's coming to the door that owns the dog, and he's just upset. He's yelling at the dog, you stupid dog, you are killing me. Opens the dog, dog runs in, and, and the butcher's like, dude, that is the smartest dog I have ever seen. And the man replies back, smart, intelligent, are you crazy? This is the third time this week that he's forgotten his key. There are some people that will find the storm in every rainbow. There are some people that are just negative about everything, man. If they win the lottery, they're like, I'm going to have to pay so much taxes. You're like, yeah, feel sorry for you, man. Really, that stinks, doesn't it? Um, there's just some people, right? They're just, they're just negative, man. And no matter what happens, and, and they get these automatic negative, automatic negative thoughts. They're always grumbling, always complaining, uh, always just full of pessimism and just negative, negative people. And I want to say that the antidote to negative thinking isn't positive thinking. It's gratitude. Yeah. 
Say that again for the people in the back. The antidote to negative thinking isn't positive thinking, it's gratitude. And we need to be people of gratitude. You know, gratitude itself has all kinds of incredible benefits. For instance, they say to boost your immune system, it lowers your stress levels, it improves mental health, it improves relationships, it increases optimism, it improves sleep, it improves self-esteem. Um, they actually say that it improves your physical health, that grateful people experience fewer aches and pains. Who am I talking to in the room? You need to take some vitamin G called grateful and you experience fewer aches and pains. I don't know, but I found that to be pretty interesting myself. Um, uh, You become more thankful and all of a sudden you start to report feeling healthier, right? There's something about gratitude that's incredibly, incredibly powerful. Now, as Christians, we should be people that are practicing a lifestyle of gratitude, of thanksgiving. It's not just a one-week thing. I mean, I know this is Thanksgiving week, and there's going to be a lot of talk of thanksgiving and gratitude, but it should be a daily lifestyle. In fact, Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica, and he said this. He said, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. He said, give thanks in how many circumstances? The good times? The bad times? In all circumstances, when life is good, when life is bad, we're going to be people that give thanks. And he's saying, listen, this should be a uniqueness of you in Christ Jesus. So I would say, as part of this habit series that we're in, that we need to develop a habit of gratitude. Because you do realize there's part of it that is a very habitual thing. Whether you say thank you or not is oftentimes a habit. It's a politeness. And we need to develop a habit of gratitude. Now, um, there's this, this guy who was a, uh, a doctor, a physician of the time that got radically saved and started following this teachings of a man by the name of Jesus, became a, a person that followed the apostle Paul all around, took it upon himself to write a biography of Jesus. We call it the gospel of Luke. It's the, it's the third in the gospel traditions. And the gospel of Luke is followed by another book that he wrote. Uh, it's probably a sequel to the gospel of Luke, Luke. That's a, a biography of the early church called the Acts of the Apostles. We call it Acts today, but it's Acts of the Apostles. And in uh, uh, Luke chapter number uh, 17, Jesus has been walking next to his disciples for a while, answering their questions, teaching them. And then this interesting thing starts to come up. In Luke 17, verse 11 through 19, <clears throat> it says, Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on us. When they saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Somebody say, as they went. One of them who saw he was healed came back praising God in a loud voice. Somebody say one of them. That's key. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a dun-dun-dun Samaritan. He was not even a Jew. He was not even somebody that we're supposed to be associating with in the Jewish mindset of that time period. Jesus answered, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Somebody say that with me. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. 
These lepers in this leper colony, it's hard for us even in today's world to paint a picture of how bad it was for lepers of that time period. It was the worst disease you could possibly have. Your nerve endings would stop giving impulses to your brain. So you would not feel pain, which would then start to allow sores and things to fester. And if it festered long enough, before you know it, you might lose fingers or toes or even uh, 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 entire uh, ligaments off of your body. It was a, it was a horrible disease. And, and parts of your body, like your nose and your ears, were especially vulnerable. And so if you ever see a person with leprosy, they looked hideous. And I'm not trying to be graphic or ugly or mean towards them, but physically they looked like something out of a Walking Dead movie movie, right? They look like a bad Halloween costume. I mean, they looked hideous and you did not want to be around these people. And, uh, uh, and it would take sometimes 30 years for this, for this, uh, uh, disease to run its course. <coughs> and that's not to include the emotional pain, which was probably greater than the physical pain because emotionally, all of a sudden you might've had a wife and a family, but you contract leprosy and now you can't be around them any longer. So you would never kiss your kids again. You would never give them a hug. You would never send them off to school. You would never be able to say hi to your wife. You would never be able to get in close proximity to your wife because from this time period forward, you could connect, contaminate them. So everywhere you went, you couldn't be around anybody who didn't have leprosy So you would walk around and you would call out unclean to anybody that you came in contact with. And so in a very real sense, these 10 men were all in quarantine from society. We know something about quarantine, don't we? And they were in quarantine from society, but they didn't get to Netflix and binge on Amazon Prime movies and and all of that kind of stuff. Um, And so they, they, they start to congregate together because they're outside outcast from society at large. And they had no company except the company of other lepers. And, and nothing brings people together like shared pain. And so you get this company of lepers that, that, that all have this shared pain. All of them know this physical pain, this emotional pain. And so they end up in this community, a, a colony, you could say, a leper colony. And when everybody hurts, it's a funny thing that happens because you will find other people that hurt in your same way and gather around them. And so they, they, they do that because they still need community, but they're not allowed into the community that's whole, the community that's functioning, the community that's uh, not sick. And so they can't go into the healthy community, but they find community with others. It's, it's funny how um, still to this day, we form communities of dysfunction. If you have a dysfunction in your life, there's something about it that naturally draws you to somebody else who has that same dysfunction in their life. There's something about these communities of dysfunction that when you get around somebody with your dysfunction, it makes you feel better about your dysfunction. It makes you feel better about your thing, whatever that is. If, if you have a lot of debt, you like to hang around with other people that have a lot of debt because then you don't feel guilty for having a lot of debt. If you've been divorced over and over and over, it's nice to hang around with people that have been divorced over and over and over because then you don't feel so bad about getting divorced over and over. When you have these dysfunctions in your life, if you're an alcoholic, you love to hang around other alcoholics because you don't feel guilty about being an alcoholic. Are you with me? So whatever these dysfunctions are in our life, uh, it's nice to hang around people that have the same dysfunctions because then we don't feel guilty about our dysfunction. Because if we're hanging around people... If we're hanging around people with the same dysfunction of us, it actually makes us feel functional even though we're dysfunctional. Because we fit in and we think what's normal is what's abnormal. 
So we think this is normal because everybody in my world is, is, is you know, deeply in debt or is drinking too much or is sleeping around or is looking at porn or whatever it is. And all these people in my circle are doing it. That just makes it normal. The problem with that is that it's not normal. And as long as you're inside of a dysfunctional community, you will be brought together inside of that community for community, but it's not a healthy community. And so these people are broken and, 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 and they're around people who are just like them. You know, if you're always attracting crazy people in your life, you might be, you might, if you're always, if you're always attracting broken people around your life, <laughs> So if you want to get out of this dysfunction, you have to actually call out to people that are outside of your dysfunction. You will never get better by asking the people with the same dysfunction how to get better because if they knew how to get better, they would have already gotten better. So, 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 so they get in these colonies that then actually hurt the process of you getting healthy because it makes it normal. Listen, if you want to be made well, don't get advice from the sick. I know this is rocket science and really deep, but think about it for a second, because we live in a world that's constantly doing this, especially the younger you are, the more this seems to afflict us, that we will actually ask people who are in the same mess that we're in, how do you get out of this mess? How do you do better with this mess? And they're in the same mess that we're in. Instead of actually reaching out to somebody who's healthy, are you with me? Why, Why do we do that? Because the person who's healthy makes us feel guilty about our sin. The one who's not in the middle of the junk actually makes us, it kind of rubs us the wrong way. Somebody, uh, I won't say his name for privacy, but a guy in our church that was an addict for many, many, many years, I think like 50 years of his life, uh, something like that, uh, told me after service, he said, that was spot on for me in that part of the message. He said, I remember when I was in my addiction, I would get so frustrated when the people were going to work early in the morning. He said, because I couldn't go to work. I was always strung out and this and that. He said, I would get so irritated with them only because they were doing what I knew I was supposed to be doing. Right, that's what begins to happen. So you get frustrated by people who are healthy because they don't fit into your mess of unhealth. We're seeing this around the world right now. So, So they're dirty, so they need to go somebody who's clean. They're infected, they need to go out to somebody who's disinfected. And so what do they do? They hear about this Jesus coming <clears throat> this, 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 this high priest, um, this high priest who's going to eventually sit on the right hand of God and become the eventual high priest to all of us forever. They call out to him, the one who would be called the spotless lamb of God, the one who was without sin, the one who was perfect. In order to get out of their dysfunction, they had to call on to somebody who was functional and they were smart enough to realize that. So these 10 lepers, which was probably not the whole community, there might've been more. These 10 lepers start calling out, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. Have pity on us. Jesus, you can do something. Jesus, have mercy on us. See, when it gets bad enough, we'll cry out to God. The shameful thing is that it usually has to get bad enough before we do. And these people are smart enough to know that they need to cry out to Jesus, not their buddy, not their friend, not the other ones who's trapped in a mess with them, not the one who's just as dirty and as jacked up as they are. They call out to Jesus. By the way, they also don't call out to Muhammad. They don't call out to Buddha. They don't call out to Pastor Brent. They call out to the one who can actually do something for them. But that's an audacious thing to do because these people are dirty. They they can't even get into the community and they're going to call out to the one 
who is clean, the one who is spotless, the one who is perfect. And, and too many of us don't realize sometimes how much Jesus loves the outcasts, how much he loves the lepers, how much he loves the drug addicts, how much he loves us in the middle of our sin. We just sang about reckless love that would run through everything to chase you down in the middle of a drug house, in the middle of a mess you were in, that God's love is like that. And so we think somehow that Jesus, that, that he's going to hammer us. Instead, he's waiting not for judgment, but for mercy. He's waiting with his incredible, what would be called amazing grace in the church anthem that's absolutely incredible. So, 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 so Jesus, they call out to him and Jesus says, listen, you need to, you need to show yourself to the priest. This was a, a normal procedure when you're healed. Uh, it was proof that you were healed. It was the equivalent of a doctor's note, right? It, it's proof that you're over COVID, right? You can go back to work. Now you would be allowed back into the community if you could prove that you no longer had leprosy and the one that you went to to prove it was the priest. You'd go to the priest. He would look you up and down. He would investigate you and eventually and essentially say you are allowed back into the community from this point on. But the problem is he sends them, he sends them to the priest while they still have leprosy. <laughs> First of all, you're not allowed to do that. You cannot go to the priest who is a picture of what cleanliness should be unless you were clean. Now, if you were clean, if you were made well, then you could go to the priest. But he sends them to the priest while they apparently aren't made well. And the Bible uses this, this, this phrase that says they were cleansed as they went. <coughs> as they went. I just want to say that obedience is a key to healing. If you really want God's healing in your life, oftentimes it's going to come out of this attitude that says, I am going to chase after God, whether he heals me or not. I'm going to be obedient to him. I'm going to do what he's called me to do, whether he actually heals me or not. And it's out of those steps of faith and obedience that he begins to heal you. I don't know who I'm talking to right here, but I just want to say, just keep walking. Even when it doesn't make sense in your life, even when it seems like God's not doing anything, when God gives you a word to walk out in obedience, walk out in obedience. Because sometimes we're praying, Lord, heal me. And God's saying, I'm sending you so that you can be healed. Amen. This is throughout the Bible that you see this. They had to walk around the walls of Jericho in faith before they would tumble. They had to step their foot into the Jordan before it would part. They had to put the staff into the sea, the Red Sea, before it would part. Naaman had to go wash himself while he was still dirty in order to be made clean of his leprosy. See, your miracles are oftentimes connected to your obedience. We need faith that's faith in action. Faith that's taping steps forward no matter what the outcome. Are, are y'all with me this morning? <coughs> Sorry. Sorry. All of that was just an intro to get to this point. If you're taking notes, there are takers and there are thinkers. I know that's not actually a word. Don't look it up. You won't find it. But it's my word. I invented it for this message. I believe we live in a world right now where we have a lot of entitled people. Anybody say amen to that? Amen. And they're constantly taking, but they're not thankful for the ones who have given what they're taking. And they think that this is just my right to have this when it's not really our right and we become entitled and we actually lose our appreciation. I want to say if you're never fully appreciative of where you came from, I'm sorry, you'll never fully appreciate where you are until you learn to thank those who helped you get there. 
Until we get to the place that we can thank those and be appreciative of those who got us to where we are, we're never going to be fully able to accept and even appreciate where we are. I remember a time when, 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 when we were taught to say please and thank you. And we've kind of lost that a little bit uh, over the course of raising our children. But we used to say please and thank you. And the scary thing is with what's going on in this passage is that, 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 that nine of the ten don't even seem to realize that they should go back and say thank you. I know Thanksgiving comes this week every year and we're taught to say thank you on Thanksgiving, but what about the rest of the year? Nine of the 10 are like, like I, I, I really don't have to go back to this Jesus guy and say thank you. I don't have to go back and worship. I don't have to go back and say anything back to him. Nine out of the 10, it doesn't even seem to cross their minds. And I just want to say that our world is full of takers who are not thankful people. They just want to take from us. They just want to take from God. They just want to take from America. They just want to take and never give anything back. It's, it's a sad state within our country. Some people only want to be blessed and then they're gone. God touched me and made me feel better and then I'm gone. I see only one came back to give thanks and he was the unlikely candidate. He's the, he's the Samaritan. He's the, he's the half breed. He's the one that wouldn't even be allowed in most of the religious ceremonies. So, all of them go to the priest. That's kind of the religious part of the ceremony. They're, they're comfortable with that, at least to an extent. But only one of them ends up coming back to thank the one who provided the healing. See, a, a, a taker is thankful for the gift. A thanker is thankful for the giver. There's a big difference there than being thankful for what you were given and being thankful to the giver. We got to be people that go beyond just being thankful for what we have. When we, when, we get to, when we get to Thanksgiving this, this, this Thursday, a lot of people are like, I'm thankful for the turkey. Come on, y'all. I'm thankful for the ham because I think ham is better than turkey. Can I get an amen from somebody? But only if it's served beside mashed potatoes because mashed potatoes and ham go together perfectly. That's real Thanksgiving food. So, so, so we're thankful for the food or we're thankful for this or that. But sometimes we miss where it came from. We, we, we miss the people who have given to us so we can have what we have. We miss the God of heaven and earth who has taken care of us all this time so that we can actually experience the bounty, the goodness for we have. In fact, uh, the first Thanksgiving, the first official Thanksgiving, when it was made a U.S. holiday, was made that way by Abraham Lincoln right smack dab in the middle of the Civil War. At a time when you would think, I don't have a lot to be thankful for. Maybe he was reading that first Thessalonians passage when he said, I need to be thankful in all circumstances, in all seasons, at all times. Because right smack dab in the Civil War, he proclaimed the first national day of Thanksgiving and made it a national holiday. And he said these words when he was explaining why. And he said, it's a day of Thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent, I can't even say it, Father who dwelleth in the heavens. It's a Thanksgiving not for Publix, although it's nice to be thankful for Publix. A Thanksgiving not for Mama who made the turkey, although that is good to be thankful for Mama who made the turkey. It's a Thanksgiving to God. It's a Thanksgiving to God. And in the middle of being a, a taker, sometimes we forget to be thankful for God. Are y'all with me so far? All right, we're about to really go somewhere. Number two, 
Thanksgiving is return to gratitude. Worship is what Thanksgiving is. It's returned gratitude. Why do I worship? Why do I give? Why do I serve? Because you do realize that worship and Thanksgiving is not just something that comes out of your mouth. In fact, if it only comes out of your mouth and never your actions, that's pretty lame. So, so why do I do these things? I do these things because I remember what God has done for me in the past. I, I do these things because I'm returning the gratitude that belongs to God. I don't know about anybody else in this room, but I am a turtle on a fence post. Anybody, ever, anybody from the South? That old story, farmer saw a turtle turtle on a fence post. He said, I don't know. I, I know one thing. He didn't get there by himself, right? <laughs> I am a turtle on a fence post. I don't know how I got here, but I promise you I did not get here by myself. Some of us live a life and we act like we got here by ourselves. Oh, I made this happen. I forced myself by my own blood, sweat, and tears. But we forget who gave you your blood, sweat, and tears, who gave you the strong back in order to get to where God has you. Make no mistake, we are a bunch of turtles on top of a fence post inside of this room because if you've done anything in your life that matters, it wasn't just because you're such a good person. We have something to be grateful for. And there's always a direct correlation between the way we worship and how well we remember our salvation. How well we remember what God has done for us. There's a direct correlation between this. Because I wonder sometimes, is there an expiration date on our worship? Because sometimes we act like there is. We act like there's an expiration date. Like, Like I got saved, but it's been five years ago, so I don't worship God for that anymore now. As if God hasn't done anything in those five years for one. But is there an expiration date? Like, like when is it not kosher to remember what God has done for you? I don't think we find it. And I do think that oftentimes in the American church, we struggle with spiritual amnesia. We, we, we forget what God has done for us. Or we play it down Or we used to celebrate it, but life happened and we stopped celebrating it somewhere along the way. And we end up in this spiritual amnesia where we got to really sit down and think about it and go, yeah, I do remember God saved me back then 15 years ago, 25 years ago. And we we get this spiritual amnesia, but I want to say that until you see the things God has done, you're not qualified to see the things God will do. (laughs) Until you praise him for the past, you're not ready to experience him in the future. Some of y'all need to hear me because some of us are crying out to God wanting to experience him in the future when we're not actually praising him for the past. Out of your wings of praise in the past, he will carry you forward into the future. (laughs) So we have to be people that recognize that I'm going to worship because what God has done and I'm going to believe for the future based on what has done because his past record is always a picture of what he will do in the future. So because he was there then, I know he'll be here then now. And out of my past actually comes the praise for my future. <laughs> see, see, Thanksgiving is gratitude and worship. It's not just something you feel good about or I feel thankful today because it's Thanksgiving or uh, I overeat and, 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 you know, whatever. It's not just the thing we feel good about. It's a debt we owe to the giver of life. We, we've got to acknowledge our source. The psalmist would say, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Everything. Why? Because inner gratitude produces an outward worship. Inner gratitude produces thanksgiving. 
And when you are inwardly grateful, it will always come out outwardly in some way or another. So let everything, let everything that hath breath. Do you have breath? Do y'all are, are y'all with me? Yes. Do you have breath? Yes. Some of you are like it's bad breath, <laughs> but I got it. Bad breath is better than no breath. Come on, y'all. If you have breath, we praise the Lord. So this, so this former leper now, this former leper who was a leper hours ago, now he goes to the priest. Nine of the lepers probably do what makes sense. Nine of the lepers go, yeah, you know, I want to go see my wife. I want to go see my kids. I want to pick them up. I want to squeeze their necks. I want to... There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. It completely makes sense. But one of them, one of them runs back to Jesus's feet, throws himself at Jesus's feet and begins to worship God. <laughs> One of them, and, and the Bible says he does it in a loud voice. I love that because some of us think like when you get saved, all of a sudden your Christianity has to be kosher and polite and nice. You will act a fool at the football game, but you come into church and it's like, oh, it's all nice, dainty, pretty, you know, amen. Bless God. Who taught you that? Nine of them did a religious act. Nine of them had a level of obedience. Nine of them kind of picture the religious church of today. But one of them was radical and he was a little crazy. And he comes back and he's like, listen, I'm gonna th throws himself at Jesus's feet. Like master, why, why was he so loud? I would submit to you, he's been loud for a long time. When you are unclean, you have to walk around shouting, I'm unclean. Everywhere you go, you had to be careful that nobody that was clean got in your presence and could get your transmitted disease. So everywhere he went, he'd have to shout, unclean, unclean, unclean. I don't know, but in the theater of my mind, I see him running, throwing himself at Jesus's feet going, I'm clean, I'm clean, I'm clean. Yeah. Yeah. See, here's the funny thing that, that's never made sense to me about us in our religious circles. You were a wild fool for the devil. You shouted about it. You screamed about it. You posted about it. I'm wasted tonight. <laughs> Anybody want to go party tonight? I'm going to Ebor. Whatever. You, you did your thing and you were loud and you were proud and then you got saved. And somebody said, you're just supposed to sit still and be quiet in church. I don't know. Maybe there's some churches like that. That's not my job to judge. But I can only tell you here. If you were that over there, you need to bring that wild, crazy energy here with Jesus. I know, I know we got different personalities and, and you know, and some people will be wild and crazy, but, but if you're going to shout at the Bucks game, the Steelers game, whatever, the Giants game, if you're going to, which is the same game this week, if you're going to shout at the football game, why would you not shout in church? I am very thankful when Tom Brady throws a touchdown pass. I am very thankful when we win a game. I put my hands up. I shout. I high five people all around the rows. I do all that stuff that we do at football games. I am very thankful. 
But I am so much more thankful that the author of life chose to give me life. And if I'm going to get that excited about that, I should get that excited about this. Just, just turn around and high five somebody, you know, just, just tell them we're winning. We're winning. Jesus scored a touchdown when he got me, baby. (laughs) So, so, so I think we were meant to be loud. That's part of the evangelism process. But what happens is we get spiritual amnesia. So we forget what God has done for us. And so then we come in church and we stand there when Pastor Jason's singing and we watch other people worship and we watch the worship team and we think, oh, that sounds nice. I don't like that song. Why are we singing old songs in this church? We always sing young songs, singing about the blood. I thought we don't do that anymore. Whatever. I don't know. I don't know what thoughts go through your mind, but I know they're crazy and you would never admit them if I give you the mic. And we sit back and we start watching worship instead of being a part of worship. You watch the football game from the stands. You do not watch worship from the seats. You are the, you are the choir. You are the worshipers. But, but my, my point is, because this is what happens. So, so the Bucks will beat the Giants on Monday. Prophecy. Sorry, all you New Yorkers. The Bucks will beat the Giants on Monday. And... I'm actually going to be at the game. Pastor Kieran's going to be with me at the game. We're going to high five. We're going to eat too much popcorn, drink too much Coke. We're going to celebrate. It's going to be awesome. And then come Wednesday, I'm pretty much done celebrating. We're on to the next week, right? Like, you know, I'm kind of, you know it's great that we won, but we got another game coming up. Da, da, da. Some of us do that same stuff with Jesus. Jesus saved us. Jesus did this miracle. And now we're just kind of on. I forgot about all that. We get this, this level of spiritual amnesia that this leper could not have because God had so wrecked his, his, his life. God had so changed him. He couldn't have spiritual amnesia anymore. And he runs back to Jesus because he knows who he's supposed to be praising. He knows who the author of his, of his life change was. And it wasn't AA. It wasn't NA. It wasn't Leprosy Anonymous or whatever they were. <laughs> LA. <laughs> He runs back to Jesus because he recognizes Jesus is the one that changed everything. But number three, Thanksgiving makes you whole. Makes you whole. At the end of that whole thing, Jesus said, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. Well, we, we use the word sozo a lot in our setting. It means saved, delivered. It means made whole is what it means, complete, lacking nothing. And so God's desire for you and salvation ultimately is sozo. It's to be made whole. And you get these different words that are used within this passage where the first time it says that they were cleansed. The second time it says that they were healed. But the third time it's made whole. 10 of them were cleansed. 10 of them were healed. One of them was made whole. That's interesting. That's interesting. I think there's a picture of this that reminds me of the salvation story of many of our lives because we come to Jesus and we pray, Jesus, wash me, cleanse me. And Jesus does. He cleanses you. 
The next stage in the process is he wants to bless you. He wants to heal you. There are blessings that come into your life as you start to follow Jesus. But not everybody makes it to the stage of actually finding wholeness. (laughs) Finding wholeness. One of them runs back. One of the ten. What percentage is that? What percentage is that? One out of the ten? Some of y'all just got really nervous right there. You're like, uh, 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 fingers, toes. 10% runs back and says, and says, says, I want to give my life fully over to you. I'm wholly giving to you. And he, that, that one, the, the, the 10%, the one out of the 10, discovers wholeness. And Jesus says this line. Where are the other nine? Where are the other nine? Don't they want to come back and give praise to God too? Where did they go? I would submit to you, they probably didn't do something wrong. They probably didn't do something bad. It's not like they got healed and they went out and got wasted, right? I don't know. Like they, like they probably went and found their family. It wasn't what they did was wrong, but it didn't lead to wholeness. To wholeness. 10%. 10%. 10 1 out of 10. Where, where is that 10% that we use all the time in the church world? What is that 10%? It's a tithe, a tithe, 10%, a tithe. Tithe's an Old Testament law, New Testament principle. The Old Testament law said you had to tithe, you had to give 10%. The New Testament says it's a principle that as you surrender 10%, it's a, it's a symbol of surrendering all. It's a symbol of surrendering the whole of it. It's a picture of all of it, and so you surrender 10%. But the truth is God wasn't interested in 10% in the New Testament. He's interested in... All of it. Some people were like, I, I just can't do this tithe thing. You're really going to hate this part of the message. Because <laughs> the tithe is just a picture of 100%. It's a picture that says, God, you own it all. And I'm just reminding you of this by giving you a portion. The Old Testament, a tithe was required. The New Testament, 100% is required. Now, I'm not like fixing, taking an offering and demand you give 100%. That's not what I'm saying. But there's a New Testament principle that's greater than an Old Testament law that says it's not about 10%. It's about giving your all, giving your whole, all of you. And when you give all of you at the feet of Jesus in worship, all of a sudden he can give all of you back and you can discover wholeness. As you give your whole self to him, you can start to discover wholeness. God is not interested in taking 10% of you. God, some of us have a 10% worship. I'm going to worship you 10%. It's a segment of my life. It's a blocked out of my life. God, I'm giving you 10% of my worship on Sunday mornings. I'm giving you 10% of my service. I'm giving you 10% of my day, whatever. And God's like, you're missing it. I don't want 10%. I want all of you. And when you fully surrender, right? Anybody remember that talk? Anytime you fully surrender to God, you give him 100%, then you start to experience wholeness. Some people get trapped. They got cleansed. Some people took it another step and they got blessed. They got healed. They experienced a level of, of praise God for what he's doing in my life. But they don't make it to that final step of saying, I'm giving all of me. All of me. So the one comes back and Jesus asked that question. It's paramount. It's so important. (coughs) He says, where are the other nine? 
Because Jesus wasn't satisfied with 10%. (laughs) Where are the other nine? He's like, I don't know. I don't know. Who am I talking to this morning? Because I can walk in, watch a Shelly Parker come up with a 10% worship sold out for Jesus, going after Jesus, serving, giving, sharing everything she does, all for the love of Jesus of what God has done in her life. And she's going after God 100%. And then I can look up and see nine that aren't. I can come in and I can see Rose Trainer. I think you moved over there. Rose Trainer, she's always right here, always sold out for God. Not because things are always good. I promise you things are not always good, but she's always sold out for God. She is not coming to church because it's a religious experience. She's not coming to church because it's an expectation or a service or a giving. She's coming because she hasn't forgotten what God did in her life. And your worship and thanksgiving is always connected to what God has done in your life. And by the way, you are not just saved, you are being saved. Some of you got saved again yesterday, in the day before, in the day before, because you got saved back here. But as you're walking out that salvation, you keep stumbling, you keep falling, and God over and over, pick you up, pick you up, pick you up. But we forget about it. And so we do good things that aren't God things, like the other nine. And I'm looking for people around this room. I believe God is looking for people around this room that haven't forgotten what God has done for them. And this Thanksgiving, I don't want you to just be thankful for a ham and turkey and mashed potatoes. I want you to be thankful that God has saved you, that he is redeeming you, that he is changing you. And that he is making you whole, whole. Some people got cleansed. Some people got healed and blessed. But there is a narrow way. There's a narrow road that few find it. That is ultimately the will of God that you would actually be made whole. Whole. But to be made whole, you have to run back to the feet of Jesus. To be made whole, you can never forget what he's done about you. To be made whole, you run back and you prostrate yourself before the Lord saying, God, have all of me. I don't know who I'm talking about, but some of you know this in this room because you did that five years ago, 10 years ago, 25 years ago. You knelt at Jesus' feet and he radically saved you. And you said, God, have all of me. And then life started happening. And now you're not here this morning because you're at your kid's baseball game because God used to have all, but now you divide it up a little bit. Now you're giving him 10%. You say, God, have all of me. But now you're comfortable with just Sunday mornings once or twice a month. I'm not trying to beat you up. I'm trying to lead you into wholeness. Spending time at the feet of Jesus is what allows for wholeness in your life. But that happens because you remember what God has done. And so you keep running back to his feet. You know, the first time this, this text is special to me because 25 years ago, as a 19 year old kid, I had just gotten saved, chasing after God with all my heart, 
doing crazy stuff. I was at church every time the doors were open. I went to a seniors, I found out later it was women, seniors women Bible study at like 6 a.m. I didn't care. I was 19. I just loved Jesus. I just wanted more of him. I was there for everything, everything, everything. I wasn't satisfied being cleansed or being healed. I wanted to be made whole. I was there for everything. I found out real quick. It wasn't really a prayer meeting. It was really a gossip meeting, but that's another story. They didn't totally didn't know what to do with me. I'm like, let's pray. (laughs) They're like, oh, we do that for five minutes after talking for an hour and a half. Anyway. (laughs) So, so I I was just hungry for God. A Saturday night, I was laying down at an altar praying under a chair, actually under a pew back then and praying and God speaks to me and says, now's your time. God's, I knew I was called into ministry, but it was like, now's the time to start. It's, it's going. And I went outside with shaking hands to the guy who was the youth pastor at the time. And I was just nervous as I'll get out. And I, I walked up to him and I, I said, I feel like God's calling me to, to preach and to, to be a minister. I thought I was going to be a missionary back then. And I, I feel like God's calling me to be a minister. He's all calm, cool and collected. He said, okay, I want you to speak Wednesday night. You should give people a little more time than that. A little more training. I don't know. Like three days, okay? So I'm like, all right. So I'm crazy enough to say yes to stuff because I said yes in the world. Why did I stop saying yes for God? If they said smoke this, I smoked it because I was stupid enough to do it. But then I got educated and I stopped following God when he said to do something. So I said yes. Dug through my Bible, felt like I had a message. Walked up. It was going to be powerful, man. It was going to be Rod Parsley slash TD Jakes. They were big back then. Like, like, you know, everybody was going to be slain in the spirit. I knew it. Fire department was going to be called out because they were going to see fire coming from the roof. I knew it. Like, God was going to move. It was going to be awesome, man. It's like, you know, about five, six minutes into it, I was done. I had said everything I knew how to say. I was like, I didn't have anything else to say. Um, <laughs> true story. I'm like, all right, 25 minutes, we'll go eat pizza, I guess. But I preached this text. This is the same text, same story that God led me to 25 years ago. And I preached this text and the title of the message, I'll never forget it, was giving God your life, not your Sundays. 25 years later, that is still relevant. God is, God is not interested in you giving him a little cracker, a little morsel of it. He wants all of you. He wants all of you. But so many of us are content to be cleansed, maybe to be blessed, but we're not whole. Some of you grew up in a church following where you didn't even know you could be made whole. I want to say that God came to earth to put you back into position that you had in Eden where you were perfect Now, will you be fully perfect on this earth before heaven? No, but you can be made in the process as you're being transformed day in and day out by the renewing of your mind and the changing of what's going on inside of you. And one of them was changed on the outside. He was cleansed. Another one was blessed on the inside, but a third one was fully integrated and made whole. So do you remember? Do you remember? Do you remember what God has done for you? So I'm, I'm, I'm praying over this message in my office this morning early over next door. I'm in my office and I just stopped for a little while and I just put the message down. And I'm like, God, see, y'all don't know because all you see is this side of me. 
You didn't know the one that constantly smelled and reeked of cigarettes. You didn't know the one that was wild and crazy enough just to kind of do anything that people asked him to do. It was just kind of like the nuts guy. You didn't know the one who was starting fights out by campfires. You didn't know the one who was drinking himself to sleep, going to bed, sleeping for an hour and then going to work the next day. You didn't know that guy. And if you're not careful, all you'll see is this side. By the way, that's part of being made whole. When you're made whole, you don't even smell like the alcohol anymore. People can't even see it on you. You walk through the fire, you don't even smell like fire anymore because you're actually made whole. You're made whole. You're not just playing with it. You're made whole. See, 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 you don't know when you meet the usher in our church what they were five years ago. You don't know that they, that they were addicted to narcotics for 40 years. You don't know who they were. You just see this other side of them. Why? Because they're being made whole. Whole, not, not just cleansed, not just healed, made whole. And so I'm sitting in my office and I'm having this moment with God. The same moment many of you need to have this morning going, God, have I forgotten what you've done? <clears throat> have I ignored what you've done? Because the truth is I don't talk about it as much as I used to. The truth is I don't share it as much as I once did. Have I forgotten what you have done? And by the way, it's not just what he has done. It's what he continues to do in my life over and over and over and over. Over and over and over and over. Y'all better say amen because some of you, this is you. The best part of your testimony wasn't salvation. It's that he saved you last week and you're here today. And so, so, so like remembering God, I was a leper in a dysfunctional community so that I felt more functional. Everybody around me acted like I did so that I would feel better about my life. But then I cried out to somebody who was fully functional and God reached down into this miry pit and he pulled me out and he saved me. How about you? How about you? Because statistically, Maybe 10% of this church is sold out for Jesus. And there's nine who you'll probably be in heaven one day if that's your goal, but you're never gonna bring heaven to earth. And I'm not content to sit back and just watch other people worship. I'm not content to sit back and give God 10% of my life because I wanna be made whole and I want you to be made whole. And so I remember what Jesus has done, what God continues to do, the way he continues to restore me and build me and give grace upon my life. Miracle after miracle after miracle that I could share. Some of them I can't even share with you because they're too personal of what God has done over and over and over in my life, in my wife's life, in my family. Some of you know all about this. And this is what sends you back to the feet of Jesus over and over again, saying you are worthy. That's what makes you give yourself wholly to him so that you can be made whole. Are you being made whole? Are you being made whole? Stand up with me. I don't even know where I'm at in my notes. Jesus said, where are the other nine? Where are the other nine? Where are the other nine? 10 were cleansed as they went. 10 were healed somewhere between there and the priest. But only one was made whole. 
Which one are you? Which one are you? Have you forgotten what God has done for you? I want to live a life of thankfulness and gratitude. I want to live a life that's not entitled. I don't want to be a jerk. I want to live a life that constantly is going, God, I des- you deserve all the praise and the glory for all good things. And I'm thankful that somebody made a turkey and somebody made mashed potatoes. I'm thankful for the hands that have been a part of my life, but I am ultimately thankful for the grace that you have bestowed upon me. And we cast ourselves at the feet of Jesus, crying out to him in admiration and praise because we very well remember what we once were and what we are not any longer. And we cry out to God in the amazing grace. I remember when I got saved, it was like I was seeing again for the first time. My wife always tells the story. She says when she got saved, it's, it's, like, it's like everything was multicolored. Everything was beautiful all over again. I remember when I got saved, it was literally like scales falling off my eyes or blinders coming off of my eyes in some sense. And I got saved and all of a sudden there was a joy. There was a beauty that, I, that, that, that now I take for granted sometimes. God, I don't wanna be that person that takes it for granted. I don't wanna be that one who's entitled. I remember what you have done in my life, but not just there, but season after season after season and difficulty after difficulty, good times and bad times and moments we celebrated together and moments that I don't even care to reflect on because they were so hard. But in every moment you were there with me and leading me and guiding me. And even when I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, you were there with me and you were comforting me and you were, and it's that remembrance that draws me into this lifestyle of gratitude, of thankfulness, of worship. That says, I don't serve in this church because I get a paycheck. I don't serve in this church because it's what I do, because it's an identity. I serve here because you saved me. God, and I pray there would be a army of people that arise that would say, I don't give because it's my duty. I don't, I don't serve in our church because it's just what I'm expected to do. I don't, I don't, I don't worship and lift my hands because because Pastor Jason tells me to. I, I do these things because you saved me. Lord, let us never get over that. Let us never get over that. And you continue to save us day in and day out. And Lord, I pray that as you save us, that you make us whole. That we spend that time in your presence, loving you, humbling ourselves before you, being made one with you in spirit. And in so doing, let us be whole. Let us be whole as we wholly give ourselves to you. Where are the other nine? Lord, I pray this room is full of nines that come back this morning. Come back. Speak to us, Father. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, would you consider subscribing and sharing this on all your social platforms? If you are moved by the message and would love to share your testimony, please email it to amen at myarisechurch.com.
I pray you leave here feeling encouraged. See you next time. Thank you.